Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Discipleship Pastor Matt Miller continues our Summer of Psalms series with a message from Psalms 42 titled, Jesus is My Hope. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Happy Fourth of July. We are in, we are in the Psalms, Summer Psalms we're calling it. It's been a really good series. And as I've, I've uh, kind of talked with a number of folks over the last couple of weeks, it seems like the church is really enjoying this series. That's always good. The Psalms are fantastic to spend any amount of time in and to meditate on. Um, you find authors throughout the Psalms that are so honest and real and raw, uh, the psalm we're looking at today is an, is an author that's wrestling with life as it relates to faith, and there's, there's tension in the psalms, um, just like there's tension in our everyday lives. Um, if you guys want to open up to Psalm 42, this psalm is a picture of someone who's in the valley of depression, yet's clinging to God. The psalm doesn't give um, any insight to the circumstances. In fact, they kind of left it generalized. Um, it doesn't resolve at the end of the psalm. Like it doesn't have this nice bow that they tied on the end of it. And um, everything is now, you know, swept away and everybody's smiling. And I feel like that describes a lot of life too. We're in the midst of struggling with something and we don't know what the end's going to look like. We don't know what course this is going to run. We're just kind of in the middle of it, struggling. Um, And the, the focus of this psalm is really interesting. Because the author, he doesn't cry out to God to, to change his circumstances. He doesn't cry out to God to alleviate his pain. He doesn't cry out to God saying, hey, I want you to make this different, Lord. He cries out to God and he says, I just, I need your nearness. I need you here. I need to feel you here. I need your presence. Um, and that seems to be the central theme that runs throughout the psalm, which I feel like is really great in the midst of our circumstances. Most of the time, if you're like me, I'm saying, God, change it. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable. And he's just like, Lord, I just need your nearness um, in my life. When, when difficult times come, I think we all have this desire that we want to navigate those well. We want to pass through those valleys well. And as we look at the passage today, to draw the, the principles out of it, those are the kind of things that we're looking for is, what's this guy doing to navigate this well? And how can we apply that to our circumstances that we're either in or may come at us. So let's go ahead and read Psalm 42. If you want to read along with me in your Bible, Psalm 42 says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, for the living God. I say, when will I be able to go and appear in his presence? I cannot eat. I weep day and night. All day long they say to me, where is your God? I will remember and weep. For I was once walking along with the great throng in the temple of God, shouting and giving thanks along with the crowd as we celebrated the holy festival. Why are you depressed, O my soul? Why are you upset? Wait for God, for I will again give thanks to my God for his saving intervention. I am depressed. I will pray to you while I am trapped here in the region of the upper Jordan, from Mount Hermon, from Mount Mazar. One deep stream calls out to another at the sound of your waterfalls. All your billows and waves overwhelm me. 
By day the Lord decrees his loyal love, and by night he gives me a song, a prayer to the living God. I will pray to God, my high ridge. Why do you ignore me? Why must I walk around mourning because my enemies oppress me? My enemies taunts cut me into the bone. As they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you depressed, O my soul? Why are you upset? Wait for God, for I will again give thanks to my God for his saving intervention. So what I'd like to do this morning as we pass through the psalm, there's a couple pieces of poetic imagery that I just want to unpack first before we try to hit the teaching in the psalm to say, what are we going to get out of it? I just want to make sure we kind of understand what the author's saying because as is in poetry, sometimes it's veiled and it's not direct what he's saying. So let's look at a couple of those things first. Let's start with verse one and two. He says, as a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for the living God. So there's some really vivid imagery there. You can picture an animal that's frantic and in desperate need of water, can't find water, maybe running around a place like the the desert out here, um, needing water to live. And I like that the author makes the point, he calls God the living God, to say that God, you you are the living God, you are the source of life that this animal needs, you're the source of life that I need so desperately. And then in verse three, he continues with this thought with some more imagery. He says, at Kanadi, I weep day and night. And another translation of that verse reads, my tears have been my only food. My tears have been my only food. So this is the person that's been so satisfied with God's presence in the past that he feels like God is distant or removed or not listening, not answering. And his thoughts have become so singular in, in just wanting God. Like he wants to be near and close to God. Instead of God's presence quenching this longing like water would quench our thirst. The only thing that brings any sort of satisfaction are the tears. And he's kind of saying like, to to quench that thirst, I drink my tears, you know? Um, It's like I said, pretty vivid imagery. Um, I find it interesting that the author knows that God is there. There's a head knowledge. Mentally acknowledges God is present, but he feels like God is distant. And there's like this juxtaposition to, sometimes I know these things about God, but I feel a different way. And that's okay to feel differently than I know sometimes. Let's keep moving. Look at verse 7 with me. And there's a little bit more imagery here I want to unpack. He says, One deep stream calls out to the other at the sound of your waterfalls. So when we're in the midst of despair, there's this whirlwind of thoughts that are going through our, our mind. They're bouncing around in our head. And they're not quiet. The author describes it as noise. It's noisy. You wish so badly that you could just turn the thoughts off. And sometimes we seek some form of escape or we just want to go to sleep because it's the only way to kind of escape what's going on um, in our minds. And uh, he describes this noise like standing under a waterfall. Um, Have any of you guys been next to some sort of like substantive waterfall? Like not like the puny ones we have in Arizona where you're like, oh, there's a nice vertical stream, you know? But like standing next to something like out of Yosemite or Yellowstone, you're like, that is a waterfall. When you're next to it, you can't talk to the person next to you. It's deafening. It's loud. And he's describing it as like, I am standing underneath it. It's that level of noise. I I can't imagine standing in a waterfall, but I feel like it would be, if you could stand, it would be um, disorienting. 
Look at the second part of that verse. He says, all your billows and waves overwhelm me. So I picture someone swimming in the ocean, swimming towards a beach, and they're, they're exhausted and on the edge of, of drowning, and they can't swim anymore. And just as they're getting close, another big wave comes over and just smashes them under the water again or smashes them into the sand. And he's kind of describing that like your billows and your waves, they're coming at me and they're overwhelming me and I'm going under the water. So he's feeling worn out, worn out by his circumstances, exhausted by the lack of control, the inability to do anything about it. He comes before God and just says, I'm worn out, I'm done. I'm tired of taking it. I don't know what to do. So we've got this basic sense of what's going on in this passage. The author's experiencing a number of things. There's depression. There's longing for God's nearness and his presence. Um, he's worn out by the thoughts spiraling around in his head and the noise. Um, he, he references later in verse 9 and 10. We didn't spend any time there, but he says, my enemies are taunting me. They're relentless. They're coming after me and saying, where is your God? Let's take another pass and see what we can learn from the teaching that's in the psalm. And I mentioned this in the beginning. I, I, I want to be able to pass through those difficult times in life well. I want to figure out how to do that better. If I'm hurting to hurt well, if I'm depressed to, to be depressed well, if I'm grieving, how do I do that well? How do I come through that well? No doubt there, there, are, there are all sorts of different circumstances that will come at us that will make us fearful and anxious, that are they're unpredictable, um, can't see them coming, don't know where they're going to go. Uh, the opposite of passing through those well is, is having them hit and we just kind of crumble and fall apart and our, our foundation is a little bit flimsy. I want to be the opposite of that. I think we can learn some things from the author. So the, the first point that I wanted to make, it's an acknowledgement of God's presence and his provision and his control. So God's presence, his provision and, and control. Let's look at where that is in the passage. Read verse eight with me again. He says, by day, he decrees his loyal love and by night, he gives me a song. And in verse, um, verses five and 11, he kind of says the same thing. For I will give thanks to my God for his saving intervention you could also read that, I'll give thanks to my God, the one who saves me, or my God, my salvation. So throughout the psalm, you kind of see light shining in in the midst of the darkness. You see the light coming through in the midst of this guy's darkness, and you see these really hopeful statements um, in the midst of desperation. In verse 1 and 2, he says, I don't feel you present. But then down in verse 8, he says, by day, you decree your loyal love. And by night, you give me a song. So he's at the same time in the same poem, he's acknowledging that God's there. I don't feel you there, but I know you're there. And maybe in some small ways, I see you moving and I see your provision in my life. There's another small word I want to take note of. In the midst of his pain, he's referring to God as my God. He says, that's my God. There's a personal connection there. That's not, that's not someone that talks about God like it's God afar, God up in the clouds, God like looking on in my misery and suffering from way up there and disconnected, but he's saying, that's my God. I may not feel near to him, but there's a, there's a personal nature to that, and it comes from a God that wants to be personally known and wants to be experienced personally. And I, I added uh, control 
to that statement. And I think if we're kind of missing, if, if we're reading the passage quickly, we might, we might miss this. But look at, look at what he says in verse 7. He says, One deep stream calls out to another at the sound of your waterfalls. All your billows and waves overwhelm me. It's interesting, he doesn't say it's the devil's waves. He doesn't say it's the waves of my enemy. He doesn't say the waves the pandemic is bringing or the waves from the government or look for these, these, these things externally that seem like they're tossing things at him from life. He says your waves. And he's acknowledging God being the one that is in control of these things. The church word we use for that is we would say that God is sovereign. He's sovereign. He's over the circumstances in my life and he hasn't lost um, control of those things. He hasn't turned away but he is ordaining the things that come about in my life and he is allowing things to happen in my life. And that language is throughout scripture. That's not you know, unique to Psalm 42. That language is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that, that God is sovereign. And it's good for us to talk like that. It's good for us to think like that. It's good for us to make the connection to God even in the midst of the valleys. You know, I had a, a buddy in college that I was thinking about when I was uh, preparing the message this morning. And um, he was, uh, he's a really great guy. He, he, um, he and his family had a lot of money. They had um, really nice cars. They lived right outside of uh, Malibu in this community. It's a gated community called Westlake Village. So I don't know if you guys are um, familiar with Southern California, but it's a pretty upscale neighborhood. Like you drive through there and you're like, oh, this is where the mansions are, you know? They had a um, very nice house, landscaper, um, house cleaner, you know, his dad had like collectible cars out in the garage. They're kind of a family that was like that. And he was just really good to spend time around. He was this really authentic um, guy. And he's, he's been one of my close friends um, even after college. But it was really interesting to kind of watch things unfold for him. I mean, we graduated. Uh, he starts jumping into business with his dad um, that they had. And his dad's been doing this stuff for forever. And uh, 2008 hit. And you guys know what 2008 brought. Um, just knocked the bottom out of a whole lot of stuff, and people lost their jobs, they lost their livelihood, and uh, my buddy was no different. Um, they, the international business market that he and his dad were into, um, the market just dried up and disappeared, and it wasn't there. And they spent a couple years trying to, to pour money and throw money at a couple different business opportunities to try to make something go and make something work. But in the end, they sold the house, all of the cars were gone, and he was just living in a he was living in a two bedroom apartment with his brother and his two parents in just a very average neighborhood in Southern California, you know. So you don't see, see stories like that very often. I mean, I've, I'm sure if we kind of went across the room, maybe you guys would have some folks like that. that you're like, oh yeah, I remember some people kind of getting destroyed through the 2008 stuff that came at us. So I'd call my buddy every couple months just to check in on him, make sure they were doing okay, see if they needed anything. And it was so interesting how the conversation would unfold each time because I would, I would attempt to call up and encourage him, you know, and to, to be supportive uh, and all that kind of stuff. When I would talk with him, he would just talk over and over again about how good God has been to him, how good God has been to his family. And he would make the statements like, he's like, man, we are so blessed. And I, I'm kind of from the outside looking in saying, I don't know that I would be phrasing that the way that you are. I wish I would. <laughs> I want that, you know. But um, 
you know, I would go into this conversation with him hoping to encourage him and bless him. And I would hang up the phone time after time and I'd call him. And I'd feel like, how was I the one that was blessed? How was I the one that was encouraged? He's down in the valley of life and he's just talking about how, how good and, and how much of a blessing God has been to them through continuing to provide for their family. You know, it's just an uncommon, uncommon person, uncommon how he navigated that. But I look at that situation and I'm like, man, job well done. Like you did that one right. And I feel like he, his life evidenced these deep roots being rooted in God, being rooted in God's word to navigate that storm really well. Let's look at the second teaching out of the psalm. I call it preach to yourself. I kind of had a good time with this when I was thinking about this. He says um, in verse five, why are you depressed, O oh my soul? Why are you upset? So he's talking to himself. He's, his soul is depressed. He's saying I'm depressed and he's talking back to his soul, but it isn't crazy. We actually do that all the time, don't we? kind of have these conversations um, within our heads. I want to read this um, quote um, by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote this book called Spiritual Depression. This is kind of an old book, but it's centered off of Psalm 42, actually. He took it and he wrote this pretty substantial book just based off of Psalm 42 and navigating depression. And uh, he says, this is really good, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come at you moment, the moment you wake up in the morning. You haven't originated them, but there they are, talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. That's pretty accurate, isn't it? I know personally that I need to stop agreeing with the bad thoughts that pop into my head. It's like I'm no help to myself. Myself says something like, hey, this is bad. And I turn back around and I say, yeah, it's bad, you know? I feel like myself should be sitting there saying, aren't you supposed to be the positive one? Like, I'm the negative one in this, in this equation, but I'm sitting there confirming and pouring into, like, the destructiveness of my own thoughts. Look at what he does in, in verse 5. So I feel like here's the, the teaching in this to me and kind of learning from his example. Why are you depressed, O oh, my soul? Wait for God. I will praise him again. And he says in verse six, I'm depressed, so I'll pray. Verse seven, the noise that's in my head is deafening and unending. But by day, the Lord makes known his love that does not end. And at night, he gives me a song to direct and calm the whirling emotions. So I'm kind of reading some thoughts into that. That's not actually what the Bible says there. We already read what the Bible says, but... I think that's the process he's going through. You kind of see him going back and forth saying, this is bad, but this is what I'm going to say to myself in the midst of this bad thing. And I feel like that's a really healthy practice that I wish, I wish it didn't take my thoughts so long to, to catch on to the fact that like, oh, hey, wait, I'm telling myself something I shouldn't be telling myself. I need to tell myself something different. But it takes too long for me to get there. And I'm like, spiritual maturity for me or growing up would just be shortening that time. I don't think I'm ever going to get to the point where I just say, oh, I'm only saying good things to myself. But it's like the amount of time for me before I catch on and realize and say, oh man, I need to you know, tell myself something better here because this is not going in a good direction. How do we do this? Like, How do we make this um, practical? I don't know if you've ever tried to take 
God's word or some of the passages you've memorized or search into the Bible and apply it to the situations in your life and kind of let the word of God pour over you and, and preach to you in the midst of your circumstances. I just chose one passage out of, um, honestly, many that I found. But um, Romans 8 said, if we do this, let's start with the gospel. There's so many things in the Old Testament that are encouraging, tell us about God's character and his promises. But I said, we're living on this side of the cross If I just started with Romans 8 and I said to myself, if God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us everything? In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will never leave you or forsake you. Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. So that's really good stuff for me to hear in the midst of something not going well in my life. I can't um, control the things that come at me. I can't control the thoughts that come up. They are going to come up no matter what. I'm still a sinful person. I still have this natural self, and that's where those thoughts come from. But I can control how I answer the thoughts and how I'm practiced in doing that. And I think life would be a whole lot better. The circumstances would be better if I got better at doing that. You guys remember last week, Mike Van Fleet taught on Psalm 1, and he talked to us about this tree being planted by a stream with deep roots, firmly rooted. He kind of talked about those big mesquite trees that we have and the the microbursts and monsoons come through because people water them every day and the wind just knocks them over. You're like, how does the wind knock over this massive tree? He's like, because you're watering it wrong. Because it doesn't have deep roots because you didn't deep water it, you know? And it just gets knocked over. That's a pretty good, it's a pretty good picture of what happens to us. And sometimes I think if we don't have some foundation, um, Mike talked a lot about you need to be in God's word. You can't just rely on Pastor Matt or Ben or Mike giving you a message once a week to develop deep roots. You need to meditate and chew on God's word. You need to be in it yourself throughout the week and find ways to spend time there. So the third point, I'm going to be pretty brief with this one. I think the author does a really good job remembering what God did in the past and using the track record that God has in his life to kind of paint this trajectory for, look, I know I'm going to be somewhere else because I've been in a good spot in the past. I'm not in a good spot now, but I know God has me and that's where we're heading. We're getting back to it. So verses one and two, he kind of talks about remembering the times he was close to God when things were good. Verse four, he remembers being with God's people and being in the temple, celebrating with the festivals. This idea of being in church, being around God's people and in fellowship. Verse five, he remembers praising God. He remembers the times when he was, was jubilant and he felt it and he's not feeling it right now. It's actually the point of the whole psalm. He's basically saying, God, I'm not feeling it right now. I know the right things to think, I do, but I'm not feeling it and I don't feel close to you and I want to get back to that spot so badly again. So if you you know God and he has this track record of goodness in your life and this track record of provision, um, you know he'll do it again, you know? Um, You know that when things are going well and he's present there, that when things are going poorly, he's also present there. One of the songs we sing, we didn't sing it today, but I love it. One of the lines in there is, is the God of the mountains 
is the God of the valleys. He's the same God. He's the same God that's been with you in the times that were good, and you can look back and remember, and that's why it's healthy to remember. He's the same God that's walking with you. He hasn't gone anywhere, even if you're not feeling it, like this guy's not feeling it. I think remembering and looking back uh, is one of those things that we can do that, that really produces hope for moving forward. So let's hit this, um, this what does this have to do with me section. I want to conclude with a couple application points that are, that are really specific and practical. And I kind of told you guys about the story of my buddy who navigated this difficult season of life, and he navigated it, in my opinion, exceptionally well. There have been others like that in my life, people that have struggled with um, sickness, people that have gone through just severe loss. Um, and things that I've experienced don't really measure up to the things they've experienced. And I've, I've gotten to kind of sit and learn and watch some of these people that have, that have navigated this stuff really well be my teachers in that. Um, and uh, I think if you're sitting here this morning, it, it doesn't really matter if you're, you know, on the mountaintop today or you're kind of in the middle of the road and things are just going okay or, or you're down in the valley. I think Psalm 42 applies to all of us because what's going to come tomorrow? We can literally wake up and things be different tomorrow. When's the next pandemic? You know, when are we going to lose our job or encounter sickness or grief or loss? Those things are going to come, and most of the time we can't um, see them coming. This last year, I remember, you guys just remember March 15th? That was the point I marked on the calendar where I'm like, holy cow, the world's shutting down. I'm sorry, not like a couple months ago, but 2020. And uh, I think we were all in this spot. We were like trying to figure out what we're going to do with this. And I think if we went across the room and were honest, I think most of us wanted to navigate that better better than we did. Um, so let's end with just a couple really practical things that in the midst of talking about a message on um, grief and loss and depression, I don't want to leave these things unsaid because I think they're, they're key components to it. So the first one is feelings are productive. Feelings are productive. So we were created in the image of God. We were created with feelings to feel, to experience those. Those were intentional. Jesus had feelings. He experienced sorrow Happiness, joy, grief, loss, isolation. He experienced loneliness. So if you're feeling and when you're feeling, what you're feeling is okay. It's okay. I say stop fighting it. Don't try to take whatever it is you're feeling and just stuff it down. Like there's a place that's going to hold that and it's going to somehow be good for you. It's not. Like I think feelings are an opportunity for us to step back and reflect and figure out what's going on and do some processing, don't fight them. Don't push them away. Hold on to the fact that you were created with those emotions and that despite what you have done, whether you've done it well, whether you've done it poorly, those same emotions are going to come. Independent of your actions, the same emotions are going to come. It's not as if you're responsible for those, those feelings that come. They're going to come anyway. You can't fight them. You can't fight them. So feelings are productive, and I think we've got to look at it that way. Number two, actively pursue a solution. So I don't know that this necessarily applies to every single person. I kind of hear this, uh, um, this phrase that some people have told me over the years in the past where, you know, hey, if God wants to fix it, he will. But if he doesn't, I'm at peace with it, and I've settled into it. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. If he doesn't change it, it's, it's okay, you know? I don't feel like that's the right way of looking at that. I don't actually think that's true. When I look back at the New Testament and I look at the people that, that Jesus healed, you know, it seems like the common trend with these folks is they sought him out. They went after Jesus. They said, hey, I've got this faith in you, or I'm wrestling with that faith in you, but I know you can make me better. And he does. And they're not, they're not sitting passively waiting for Jesus to walk up to them. They have an active role in it. Now, I'm not saying that we can heal ourselves. I'm not saying that we're God. I'm not saying just pull yourself up by your bootstraps a little bit more and you can do it. And it's about self-motivation. You still have to let God do the work. What I'm addressing is saying kind of settling into the valley is almost like taking on a little bit of a a victim mentality, like a woe is me. This is not necessarily going to get better. And you kind of let go and settle in. I don't think that's what God intends for us. I think he, he wants us to experience abundant life, different than the life in that valley. But it takes us actively saying, I need to chase after it if I want to be healthy again. The third one, God intended that this would be done together. I think there's too many of us, and I think this is some of the, just the influence of our culture. You know, like the whole culture where someone drives home from work and they roll their garage door up, and if you want to try to go over and be neighborly to that person, it's too bad because their garage door is already shut before they got out of their car. You know, they're like, I don't want to talk to you. Um, I think too many of us suffer silently. We just walk the road alone. We're not connected enough to community or to people that, um, that we can tell what's going on. We live a little bit too much in isolation. Or even if we have some really great relationships and some really great connections, there's some sort of barrier that's preventing us from telling someone what's going on. You know, and having somebody encourage us, having somebody pray for us. And God didn't in, intend life to be lived that way. I mean, we're all sitting in this thing right here called the church. And it, it, it's not a haphazard creation or invention. It wasn't something that men got together and said, we're going to do this thing called the church and sing songs and talk up, up on a stage and drink coffee and it's going to be really great. God created the church. It was his idea. He was the one that originated it. And he said, I've created and I've designed you guys to be in a community with one another where you know other people and you know them well enough to pray for them. So it's a whole idea of like, well, why do we do these things called community groups and gather together in these, these groups that are outside of Sunday morning? It's so that we can get to know other people on a deeper level. And that kind of connection, it doesn't seem to happen if all you ever do is come to Sunday morning. You're kind of doing this fly-by greeting thing with people, right? And you're you're, you're just connecting with them briefly and shaking their hand and getting a couple of the logistics or the goings-on of that week. But if you, if you go to a community group and you're connecting with folks on a deeper level, on a weekly level or every, every other week, you know how to pray for the people that are there because that kind of stuff happens in community group. And that's what it's designed for. I, I feel like it's fair to note too, you can be in one of these groups and you know a vast majority of the church actually is in one of these groups you can be in one of these groups and still be isolated and still be kind of holding back and saying, I, I, I see all these other people maybe piping up with something that's going on in their life, but I still don't quite feel comfortable. You know, you, you have an equal responsibility to be a contributor toward, let's just call it authenticity, being real, saying, this is what's going on in a humble way. Would you pray for me or would you help? Would you encourage me? 
So God didn't intend us to do it alone. I think one of the clearest ways that he intends to provide for us and give us, you know, the provision in our life when we're looking around saying like, where is God? Why isn't he providing for me? I think one of the main ways he provides for us is through the relationships that we have around us. It's one of the main ways he provides for us. Last point, take a chance on God. So are you trying to do this without God? Are you stuck? Are you feel like you're not, you're kind of spinning your wheels, you're not going anywhere and you don't want to do it with God? Maybe you're stiff arming and saying, I don't, I don't trust you. I don't want you. I don't want to do it with you. I am going to figure out a way to do it on my own, but maybe, you know, the, the reality is you're just stuck and you need to try something different. And this one, this point actually comes from just talking to too many people that said exactly that. I was pushing God away. I didn't feel like I wanted to lean on him. I didn't need his help. But I finally turned to him because I was tired of doing it my way and I wasn't getting anywhere. And then they have this wonderful story about how God intervened in the midst of their circumstances and started becoming present when he wasn't, he didn't feel present in those circumstances. Now, don't hear me wrong on this one either. I'm not saying that if you turn to God and bring him into your circumstances that he's gonna make them all better and he's gonna take everything away because that's just not how it works. He ends up walking with you through the, the circumstances and you start, start seeing his sovereignty. You start seeing the small ways that he's providing for you and that kind of stuff ends up making all the difference in the midst of sometimes stuff still going bad, you know? I want to leave you with this closing thought. You guys know what um, a ballast is on a ship? Those large, you know, barges have a thing called a ballast. Or if you're, if you're into sailing, a sailboat has this thing that sticks down in the water and it's called a, a keel. And uh, both of those things are designed to be a weight that sits down in the bottom of the boat. And when, when a storm comes, when a swell comes or a wave hits it, it keeps the thing from turning over. Or in, in any other circumstance, the, the wave would kind of start coming up and rolling and the, the boat would, would carry up the swell and as the wave flips over, the boat's just going to flip and turn right with it. And once it capsizes, it's done, you know? I think that picture of a, a ballast, a weight in the bottom of the boat, it's a really good picture of how God navigates these times with us because, like I said before, you know, are, are, are the bad times going to come? Are the unpredictable, difficult things going to hit us? Yeah. They're not going to stop coming, even if God's there. Um, are we going to get hit by waves? Sure. Are we going to take damage? We all do. We all have. We all have stories of that, right? We've all taken damage. That's still going to happen. But are we going to get destroyed by it? And I, that's where I think God comes in. He, he provides this weight, this thing that's heavier, that's bigger than us, that anchors us and weighs us down and um, steadies us in the midst of us weathering that storm. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for, um, quite honestly, Lord, an uncommon psalm. Psalm 42 is one of those where you're kind of reading through it, picking up on this depression. Seems like a story that doesn't necessarily end in a neat way. And you, you, you say, you know, wait, God, isn't this the Bible? Isn't it supposed to be, you know, troubled beginning, happy ending? And I love that there are encouraging and raw and real authentic things like this in your word that you've given us to, to, to encourage us and say, you know, life is real. And when it intersects, when life intersects faith and there's tension, 
Um, <laughs> that stuff is real. It happens, you know. God, thanks for being the kind of God that navigates this with us, that is in control of our circumstances, that has given us community as a way that you provide for us. And um, God, my prayer, my prayer for myself going through this message, God, my prayer for the church is that, is that we are people that learn and practice how to navigate that stuff well. That, we, that we, we're not gonna avoid difficult times, God, but that we pass through them and do it well. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.